occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. <laughs> hey, welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 58. I'm Abby. I'm Kate, and we'll be your ghostesses on this cold January day. This is going to be a true crime episode. Woo! Get ready. Finally, we're doing it to you. One of the key words in our title, and we are finally giving you another true crime. Yeah. What are you covering today, Kate? I'm going to be telling you about the awful crimes of Charles Ng, a Chinese-American serial killer, plus his accomplice Leonard Lake, and their secret dungeon. That sounds absolutely terrifying. It I'm is. talking about a man called Anatoly Moskvin, who was a Russian grave robber. And it's very disturbing. Oh boy! But it's also very interesting. So if you want to hear some gross stuff, then stay tuned, I guess. In strange news this week, you can buy Lizzie Borden's house. Oh, no way! If you're a subscriber to our show, it's likely that you've heard about the story of Lizzie Borden. If you haven't, go check out that episode. If you haven't heard it, though, short story, basically. Lizzie Borden, her family were killed in 1892 in their home in Massachusetts. And many people think that she was guilty of the crimes. She wasn't, though. She was eating a pear. Oh, yeah, she was totally busy eating a pear. A crunchy pear in the in the barn. Too loud for her to hear that. Crumch, crumch. Was that my family being murdered? God knows. Crumch. <laughs> if you've got a spare $2 million, this home could be yours. It what? has, however, <laughs> been remodeled into a bed and breakfast. Are you selling it? You get the intellectual rights, the trademarks, the property, and the joy of owning a top tourist attraction. Or a brutal murder site, whichever one you want to think about. It's a, piece of, a good piece of history, though. Yeah. We all put some cash in. Maybe we could buy this house. If we all put the taco money together. Podcast Clubhouse. Lizzie God Borden's no. house. This sounds awful. It sounds kind of sick, though. Like, it sounds absolutely But also, awful. like, sick. Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. Yeah, kind of grim. But that's, that's what I have in the news this week. thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. Wow. Let's all live together. All three, four hundred of us. <laughs> Sounds just Squad. bad. No yeah. one else is allowed to listen to the podcast because we can't fit you in the house. Yeah, sorry. We're only allowed 12 listeners. Yeah, sorry guys. You guys can I'll... choose amongst you who yeah. gets to stay, who's been here the longest, who loves us the most. Fight over us. <laughs> you have to really want to live with us. <laughs> You're on making breakfast as well. Yeah. I don't. I have no pros to living with me, but you guys know my voice, so that's something. Yeah, Kate will talk through loudspeakers like we're in a cult. I will, yeah. I'll be like, rise and shine. And I'll make quesadillas. Anyway. She makes a good ramen. Yeah, before we uh, talk for too long, do you want to get into the horrors? Well, not really, but it is our job. Yeah, we could keep talking about pears if you want to. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, my favourite shape of them... (laughs) Is uh, the classic pear shape. (laughs) No, just get into your horrible, horrible story. You're going first this week. Oh, I am, yeah. Wow. Okay. My sources are Murderpedia, allthatsinteresting.com, Journey into Evil, a 2012 documentary, Wikipedia, wickedwee.co, and the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition. Right, before we start, I need to give you guys a warning. This guy did murder a couple of children 
I will not be talking about it in any detail at all. But just so that you know, if you're uncomfortable by that, I'm sorry, skip ahead. Anything else particularly disturbing we should know about? <clears throat> well, I mean, it's a serial killer, so it's not going to be friendly. Oh, yeah. But I, I don't give you any detail on any of the gory bits. If you want that, go sky yourself somewhere else. Fair enough. Okay, so Charles was born on December 24th, 1960. One of the worst birthdays to have, in my humble opinion. When was he born? December 24th. Oh. I feel like no one will remember your birthday. And then if they do, you'll get like barely any presents for Not either unless Christmas. you're Jesus himself. He wasn't even born then. When back in day when Jesus was... Yeah, I swear that's like true. What are you talking about? Swear his about? birthday was on a different day. The Christians just changed it to the pagan time. Oh, yeah. I think uh, Jesus' birthday was in the summer is what we learned at school. Yeah. I was so confused. I was like... Of course Jesus wasn't born in 1960. No, you you fool. (laughs) Anyway, I don't know. There must be a way around it. If you guys were born on on Christmas Day or Christmas Eve, tell me how you get around that. Charles was the son of a rich executive, Kenneth Ng, and his hardworking wife, Oi Ping. His home was pretty rough in terms of how the home life was, He was often strictly disciplined by his father in the form of abuse. He also wasn't very academic at school, which further annoyed his father, and was the root of more abuse. Instead of academia, Charles really wanted to become a martial artist. This wish was ignored by his father, who kept him in school, causing Charles to be described as a troubled loner. Surprisingly, friction between Charles and his father didn't end there. He resented him, so he fought back in any way he could against expectations. By the age of 15, he'd been expelled multiple times from different schools, and he was arrested for shoplifting. His father then forced him to go to Bentham Grammar School in North Yorkshire, England. How did I mess up saying England? England. England. Represent! (laughs) Almost immediately, he was expelled from here because he stole from the other students. So he was sent packing back to Hong Kong. When he was 18, he took this as his freedom and moved to the United States, namely Belmont, California, to study biology at a college. It proved to be too much for him, though, as he left after only one semester. He did stay in the States, though, and joined the Marines to avoid prosecution from the hit and run he was involved in. Oh, lovely. While he was in the Marines, he bragged about a martial arts style that he'd made up himself and claimed to be a ninja warrior. That's a bold accusation. He also claimed to have assassinated someone already. Okay. And he showed a lot of anger towards authority figures within the Marines. And after only one year, he stole $11,000 worth of weapons from the armory. That's insane. Then he escaped custody of the Marines, and went back to California. And while he was still there, he met a man named Leonard Lake. Leonard was born on July 20th, 1946, so he was a fair bit older than Charles. He also didn't have the best home life, but for different reasons. His parents split up when he was six, and he was then... Sorry, and then he was then moved to live with his siblings and grandmother. His grandmother attempted to teach him to take pride in the human body, which is a sweet sentiment. But she told him to take nudes of girls to reinforce that pride. Mm, 
Granny, no, dude, don't do that. Gran, honey, mm, the 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 root of it was good. The execution. Your core values yeah. are in the right place. Your teaching method is poor. Don't do that, though. I mean, how would that even, you know, that doesn't matter. The girls in question were his sisters and cousins. Oh, man. So it's definitely not good territory. Granny. Yeah, Granny, stop. Look what you've done. Not surprisingly at all, he then became obsessed with nude photos and porn when he hit puberty, which led Leonard to wanting to collect sex slaves. Oh, this, there's always something, isn't there? Well, yeah, we do a Myths, Magic and Murder podcast. I thought this was... Hang out, talk about favourite fruits Talk show. about pear. I think I'm in the wrong place. <laughs> if this wasn't messed up enough, he would also collect mice and kill them by dissolving them in chemicals. Red fucking flag. <sighs> Leonard also went on to serve in the Marines when he was older, and he did so as a radar electronics technician, so there was no combat involved. During his time here, he was diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. This is still a recognised mental disorder, and it's in the DSM-5, which I've said before, but I'll say it again. It's basically a handbook with all of the currently recognised mental disorders in, and the criteria you need to hit will be diagnosed... Wait, to be diagnosed with something is in there. Okay. The criteria for this particular mental disorder are... Neither desires nor enjoys close relationships, including being part of a family. Almost always chooses solitary activities. Has little, if any, interest in having sexual experiences with another person. Takes pleasure in few, if any, activities. Lacks close friends or confidence, other than first-degree relatives. Appears indifferent to the praise or criticism of others and shows emotional coldness, detachment, or flattened affectivity. And, like, affectiveness is just feeling or mood. Right, okay. So at least four of those need to be present to be diagnosed with schizoid personality disorder. And although it isn't mentioned in the criteria, the people are often described as sort of self-absorbed, and they live in a fantasy world from excess daydreaming. Interesting. I thought it was interesting that he was diagnosed with that, because he's got such an obsession with sex. Yeah, maybe it isn't an obsession with sex, though. True. But it's a sexual... A sexual obsession that he has. You know what I mean? Even if it's not sex itself. Yeah, understandable. <clears throat> because of this, Leonard got a medical discharge and went to San Jose. Went to university, dropped out, and became a hippie. He joined a commune and got married. But the marriage didn't last because he'd been making amateur porn with other women. Oh. Which, as a side note, happened to involve a lot of sadomasochism. Ah. Uh. Then Leonard moved out of the commune and lived at Greenfield Ranch for eight years, where he met Clara Lynn Balazis. I think is how you say that. I'm sorry if it's not. Sorry if you can hear people stomping around. It's just people in our it's apartment just me. building. It's just Kate. She's walking up and down and she's doing this. I got my clogs on. <laughs> so Clara Lynn then married him and loved to star in his porn. Then Leonard met Charles. The two got along really well and eventually Leonard told Charles to come and move in with him. 
Shortly after they'd moved in together, they were raided by the feds because they had a huge stash of illegal explosive and weapons. Oh, for God's sake. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Is they when you diagnose someone with a you know the criteria you said, mm-hmm. are there any that are more important than others? Like you can't if you have this, then you can't have this kind of thing. I don't know what you mean. So like if so like I have anxiety mm-hmm. and the main thing of that is that I feel panicked often. Uh-huh. But there are also other things yeah. involved. So if you if I you don't have that one but you have the rest of the symptoms, do you still have anxiety? Yeah. Right, okay. I was just confused because obviously he is very interested in sex because of the porn, actual making the porn is obviously a bit different. Yeah, so like with the um the schizoid one, like I said, you need at least four. But there's no like hierarchy. So it's not like No, no. Right. So you can't I just wasn't sure how it worked. I wasn't sure whether it was like No, I think in general you can have the rest, but if you don't have that then you don't have it, you know. I think in general sometimes it is um the criteria that make the mental disorder, for example, depression. If you don't have a continuous low mood, you probably won't know you have depression, so you probably won't get checked for depression. But you could still have it. But you could still have it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay, thank you. It's okay. Psychology, Kate. <laughs> um, don't know if you know, but I actually studied <laughs> psychology at university. So yeah, they were raided by the feds. Leonard was released on six thousand dollar bond, but he ran as soon as he could. Became a fugitive, hid out in a cabin owned by Clara Lynn. Next to the cabin was Leonard's dungeon, which he had built from scratch and is where he had already murdered Donald, his brother, and Charles Gunner, his best man at his second wedding. Oh, wow. Dedication as well to build it yourself. Right, DIY. After murdering Charles Gunner, he assumed his identity, because obviously he was a fugitive on the run. Charles Ng was taken back to the custody of the Marines, where he pleaded guilty to the weapon theft from earlier, because he claimed... Oh, sorry, because he claimed his guilt, he had taken up a plea deal in which he was paroled and dishonorably discharged. So basically a slap on the wrist for stealing weapons from the Marines. So Charles and Leonard went back to living together, now in the cabin with the dungeon next to it. Although Leonard and Clara Lynn had divorced by this point, they were still on good terms, so she let him live there. It's a good deal. Yeah. To probably none of our shock... The two then started to torture and kill people in said dungeon, less than a month after being reunited. That's what happens when you build a dungeon, I guess. It is, yeah. It's quite often not just used as a little man cave. The victims were Lonnie Bond, Brenda O'Connor, Lonnie Jr., Harvey Dubbs, Deborah Dubbs, Sean Dubbs, Paul Cosner, Randy Jacobson, Mike Carroll, Kathy Allen, Jeff Gerald, Robin Stapley, Clifford Peranto, and two unnamed men who came looking for Lonnie Bond and Brenda O'Connor. The men and children were killed quickly, but Charles and Leonard would then torture the women until they died. Some of the torture was filmed by the men, and some deaths were noted down in the form of cartoons in Leonard's diary. That's fucked up, man. Luckily, though, their crimes were cut short because of Charles. He just couldn't stop himself from stealing. Oh, Charles. I mean, good, but 
getting away with all of this and then being like, oh, what a knob, right? If you were Leonard, you'd be annoyed. Yeah. So on June 2nd, 1985, he was caught shoplifting a $75 vice. And the employee that caught him phoned the police. Charles was then confronted by the police, so he chucked the vice in the back of the car he'd taken and ran away. You can torture and kill this many people and build a dungeon, but you can't play $75 for a vice. Right. They would take the money and the IDs from the people as well. So you can afford it. Yeah, probably just cocky. Yep. One of the officers obviously checked that car and found the vice alongside a twenty-two caliber pistol with an illegal silencer on it. Leonard then slowly came out of the store and was like, oh, I can explain that. There's a misunderstanding. I just paid for the vice. It's all fine. Go away. But of course, they arrested him for the weapon. Thank God. After they'd arrested Leonard, they were like, huh, that's weird. This guy looks nothing like his driver's license, which was because he had stolen it off of Robin Stapley's body. Again, luckily, had someone report... I don't know why I'm talking like absolute Yoda today. Again, luckily, someone had reported him missing. So the police were like, well, that's even weirder. Then they ran a check on the vehicle identification number on the car they were using and found it was registered to Paul Cosner, who had also been reported missing. Then, when the car's license plate was checked, it was registered to Lonnie Bond, who, you've guessed it, was reported missing. They also checked the gun, and this was also registered to Robin Stapley. So the police at this point were like, damn, okay, this is bigger than just stealing a vice from a store. We need to look into this. Good thing they did that. Leonard admitted to who he really was, and named Charles Ng as well. Then he offered to give a written statement about the gun. All he needed was a pencil, a piece of paper, and a glass of water. Police gave him this and then left him alone in an interrogation room to sort of get it all done with. When they came back, Leonard was obviously in distress, and officers thought he was having a heart attack. This wasn't the case, though. He'd actually sewn a capsule of cyanide into his belt, and had written a note to Clara Lynn before taking it with the water. Oh my gosh, he was prepared. It didn't kill him, though. Oh, good. But it did leave him brain dead. Wow. And four days later, he was taken off of life support and pronounced dead. Damn, what a way to go. When they went through the car, they found an invoice to Clara Lynn at a Wileysville address, which is where the cabin and the dungeon were. They got in contact with her and she voluntarily gave them access to the cabin and like the area surrounding the cabin, because obviously she was the one that owned it. Here they found a truck and a car, both owned by missing people. Police unearthed a burial site nearby, finding almost 40 pounds of burned and crushed human bone, which equals a minimum of 11 bodies. When the police went into the cabin, they found a hand-drawn treasure map, which led them to buried buckets, one containing IDs and personal possessions, meaning that the actual victim count could be as high as 25 people. Wow. The other bucket contained Leonard's journals and two videotapes of torture. So in the cabin was a bed with holes drilled into the posts for restraints, and video equipment belonging to Harvey Dubbs, who was one of the victims. 
In the dungeon were tools, handcuffs, a list of rules for a captive to follow. A windowless cell was there in one corner, which had like a bucket as a toilet and like a mattress, and that was it. And back in the main bit of the dungeon, there were 21 photos of women in various states of undress. Thankfully, not all of the women were murdered. Six of the 21 have since been identified as still alive. However, that does obviously still leave the 15 that were unaccounted for. Clara Lynn was given legal immunity because she handed over everything and was super helpful. She was also a key witness for Charles Eng, but she was not asked any questions. Charles was eventually caught in Alberta, Canada. He got on across the border by immediately running to Clara Lynn's house after the whole stolen vice fiasco, and she drove him to San Francisco, where he got on a flight to Chicago. From there, he phoned one of his friends to drive him from Chicago to Detroit, and then eventually he made it through to Canada. Wow. He lived there for about a year undetected. Until he screwed himself over again. No, are you for real? Was he shoplifting? He stole a can of salmon from a store. Are you for real? Yep. He's willing to risk it all for some salmon? I would risk it all for a can of salmon. <laughs> for a can of salmon. So he stole the salmon, and then two security guards were like, we just saw you stole a salmon. So then he pointed a pistol at them and threatened them, and then he shot one in the hand while he was resisting the arrest. What an absolute moron. I know. He was sentenced to four and a half years in prison for this, and afterwards he remained incarcerated because California wanted him sent back to pay for his crimes, obviously. However, it wasn't that easy because Canada doesn't have the death penalty, and obviously America, parts of America do, or did. So by sending him back, it would breach one of Canada's rights and freedoms. Right. So it was taken to the Supreme Court of Canada, who ruled by a vote of four to three that they should send him back due to the nature of his crimes. And he was on a plane less than an hour later. That's incredible. But Charles really didn't quit once he got back. Did he steal another salmon? No. He's, he's, he's not allowed to go to a salmon store on his own at this point. He's stolen something else. He sued the state filed challenges against four of the judges assigned to his case, lodged complaints about his glasses' strength not being correct, the temperature of his food, and his apparent right to practice origami in his cell. What the fuck? He also went through ten attorneys and filed malpractice suits against a few of them due to incompetent representation. Because of this, he was eventually allowed to represent himself, which meant that the trial had to be delayed for another year in order for him to research all of the applicable laws for his case. Seven years after he was brought back from Canada, in October 1998, his trial finally began. Charles claimed he was just an observer of all of the crimes, but although psychiatrists and psychologists claimed he had dependent personality disorder, and four prison guards, two deputies, the prison librarian, and the prison counsellor all said he was the model prisoner, Charles was eventually found guilty of 11 out of 12 homicides in February 1999. He was sentenced to death, but he's still living on death row at San Quentin, as there haven't been any executions in California since 2006. All in all, the faffing around of Charles costed the state of California $20 million. Holy shit. 
And that's it. That was wild. I can't believe that these men were out here dedicating their time to building a torture dungeon, which is obviously incredibly disturbing, and I'm sure there's more information on that online. Oh, Charles wasn't even to do with that. That was just Leonard on his own. But regardless, they were involved in this, and they were it was functioning. Mm-hmm. And then he just wouldn't quit stealing salmons. I know. Imagine how... Well don't imagine because it would have been awful but imagine if the two hadn't met and leonard just did it on his own yeah he probably would have killed way more people because the only reason they were caught was because charles stole a vice why do you even need that do you need salmon that badly my dude the i mean i'm really glad but like that obviously he got caught because he deserves to pay for what he did but oh definitely what but a can of salmon you have an alarm. How bad do you need that can of salmon? You're a fugitive for a year now, and you're still in a can of salmon. Get a grip, right? Get a life. What a loser. We were saying earlier, maybe you could bully prisoners into reforming them. I was saying you couldn't. This was Abby's entire idea on her own. It was a joke. Like, imagine you're in, you're in prison, and people just won't show any sort of sympathy, remorse, so you just bully them. The psychiatrist comes in and he's like, oh. You're fucking weird, you. You're a bit gammy, aren't you? Ugh. Ugh. And he's like, I'm so, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Oh, I feel awful. I feel like shit now. Stop <laughs> saying mean things to me. Oh. Please, make it and stop. And I'll be nice. Yeah. If you want to follow the podcast on social media, you can do that at Mits Magic Pod. And if you want to support us on Patreon, then you can do that at patreon.com forward slash Mits Magic Murder. Thank you to everybody who already does that because you are funding everything that we do. You are our favourites. Don't say that. <laughs> you are not. Fine. Fine. I'm going to say it every single week and you can try and stop me, Don't. but it won't work. I love all of you equally, my children. <laughs> you should go over to Patreon if you can, because you can pledge as little or as much as you would like to, and you get extra stuff. Video content. Video content. You can see us, not live and not in the flesh. But you can see us speak words into your ear holes on video. Just for you. Pictures too. How neat. Cool ones. Moving pictures. Yeah. Audio, extra episodes, Ooh, tons of stuff on there. And you get to know what's coming up. But I have to know what's going on because I post those ones and Abby puts the vaguest things on the spreadsheet. So this week was just mummy guy. That means that you just don't know what's coming, guys. Yeah, you know as much as I know, and that's not a lot. But you should go over there because it'll be nice for you and it'll be nice for us to make this our living one day. <laughs> anyway. To afford one singular cup of coffee along with the payment for our podcast. One tin of beans, please, mother. One can of salmon. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that was awful. Anyway, you can also email us over on mythsmagicandmurder at gmail.com. If you have any haunted happenings, terrifying tales, or spooky stories that you would like to share with us. And Oh. Abby's been doing stuff to the website. Oh yeah, we got a brand new looking website, MissMagicMoto.com. You can go over there, have a little looky looky if you want. You can grab some merch if you want. Cool, it's looking better now. It's looking way better than it did before. Yeah, and you can send requests or your own stories 
over on that if you want to. There's a little button for you to press. There are so many ways for you to talk to us, but I feel like I'm talking just over myself now, so we should get into the next story. All right. Gross me out. Anything else to say? Let's let's get gross. So today I'm talking about something quite disturbing, and that's the case of Anatoly Moskvin, the Russian grave robber. Oh, you want to give a content warning? Oh yeah, content warning. Um, there is mention of the death of children, but there is no mention of how they died or anything disturbing like that. It's just they are victims, I guess, in a sense of the grave robbing, if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. So my sources are Pravda.ru, Wikipedia, BBC, 7news.com, and all that's interesting. All that's interesting really carry us through. They do. They're such a good source. Source. Like mayonnaise. Ketchup and mustard. Anatoly had an interest in graves and the deceased from a young age. When he was just a schoolboy, he began wandering through cemeteries with his friends. Apparently, when he was just a young boy, he witnessed a funeral procession. So when they take the body from the funeral home to the the cemetery or the crematorium. Mm -hmm. And the deceased was an 11-year-old girl, and the participants of the funeral forced him to kiss her face. Ew. Which is very odd in itself. He said an adult pushed his face down onto the forehead of the dead girl and there was nothing he could do, which sort of sparked his strange and disturbing interest or obsession with the dead. God, that's awful. He said he kissed her once and then again and again. And the grieving girl's mother put a wedding ring on Anatoly and another ring on her daughter's finger. And he was 13 at the time. Oh my God. First of all, why? Why would you do that? There's this kid that you don't even know, right? He wasn't part of the procession, was he? No, he wasn't. So he's just there, hanging out, maybe with his mates, maybe alone. You don't know. You don't know why he's there. Maybe he's paying his respects to someone. Why on earth would you make this random boy kiss your whoever she is to you? Daughter. Well, the mother didn't push his head down, did he? Uh, did it doesn't. It doesn't say anywhere. Yeah, but why? I'm just baffled. And also, don't do that to kids because dead bodies are scary enough. Let's just put that out there. That's true. They're horrifying. Well, not to him. I remember. Right, you can take this out if it's too personal. I went to Abby's granddad's funeral with her once. That's where we're at, right? I'm in his house. <laughs> Gosh. I turned the corner. Me, having never seen a dead body before, bam, open casket. I nearly shit myself on the sofa. If you don't know what you're expecting, dead bodies can be quite... um, They're haunting. That person is not alive. Uncomfortable, yeah. So for this to happen to a child, it is a bit odd. That's awful. But yeah, he kissed her on the forehead and then they got married, I guess. Anyways. So this kind of sparked his interest with the deceased... Well, I'm not surprised. And he graduated with a degree in philosophy and became really well-known amongst academics. They described him as an eccentric genius. Uh, He specialised in Celtic history and folklore, as well as linguistics. He spoke 13 languages, had a collection of 60,000 books, and he was a published scholar. Wow. So, really, really smart guy. However, his peers didn't know that he had strong interests and knowledge as well in the world of the occult, burial rituals, and death. In fact, between 2005 and 2007, 
he'd visited 752 cemeteries and had taken very detailed notes that included everyone who was buried there. Oh my god. Get a better hobby. Also, he walked to all of them. Sometimes stopping to sleep on hay bales or in barns and drink rainwater because he was walking around 20 miles a day to get to these cemeteries. Oh, what a loser. You can't bully him. Can. It's done now. Take up pottery. At one point, he even slept in a coffin that was ready for someone else's funeral, which I think is kind of where this started to fade from unusual interest to kind of disturbing obsession. That's bare rude, you know. That coffin wasn't even for you. He was also never questioned by anybody because he lived a very isolated life with his, with um, without many friends. He didn't marry or have any history of a relationship. He was kind of, he was a virgin, didn't drink or smoke, lived with his parents. You know, that kind of isolated person, whether he wanted to be or not. But people knew him as a bit of a quirky loner who was doing his own thing and just kind of left it at that because it didn't seem like he was doing any harm, you know, just a smart guy. Especially his parents, who were confused but supported him when he started to collect a large amount of life-size human dolls. Not... No. At this point, the police questioned Anatoly when they found him in a cemetery late at night. Someone's screaming outside. Someone window. is absolutely whooping and cheering outside. They're like, oh my god, Myths, Magic and Murder are recording in that flat. Is that one of you guys? Are you getting ready to live with us? <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> yeah, at one point they questioned him because they found him in a cemetery in the middle of the night. But at the time, he was a regular contributor of a local newspaper. So he wrote an article like twice a month, some said. One said... Uh, once a week, so a couple times a month he wrote an article about the history of local graveyards. So, you know, they were titled uh, Great Walks Around Cemeteries and What the Dead Said. And because he was an expert in this field and was was published, the police were just like, that's fine, because you would be, you wouldn't question this guy if he's literally a journalist. Honestly, even slight fame can just get you out of stuff. Yeah. Well, I thought I figured it was just because of the, you know, if you have, they're not reviews, but like reviews of graveyards, if that's your job or that's something you do, how would they know that you're not doing that right now? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being in a graveyard at night. You know, you do you. If you feel at home there, then that's fine. Bit weird, but like, okay, fine. Oh yeah, I'm sure if he was like, I'm grieving, they'd be like, okay. Yeah, like, he's not doing anything wrong, but like, he's taking it a bit far. Yeah, but no one questioned him. That is, until people started to notice that strange things had happened in these cemeteries. Oh. In 2009, locals began to discover that their loved ones' graves had been dug up. I forgot that you said he was a grave robber. The police thought this was done by extremist organisations, so they bumped up their police units and set up detectives to investigate extremist crimes. Mm-hmm. But they didn't find anything, and graves continued to be damaged and dug up for two more years. Until 2011, when investigators were led to a graveyard where many graves had recently been vandalised. Oh my god, this is bare recent? Yep. Police, Ew. police caught Anatoly at this graveyard and they did arrest, arrest him and they went back to his small apartment where he shared with his parents to collect evidence because they just thought he was a vandal. Oh, so no. basically what was happening is there was a terrorist incident in 2011 
And he was basically doing racist crimes by going to um, Muslim graves and painting over the faces of them. Ugh. It's like retaliation, I guess, you know. So they were like going to arrest him for that. But then they went to his apartment and they found that he had 26 life-size human dolls sat around his apartment. You'd quit on the spot. You do not get paid enough for that leave. Yeah. They resembled antique dolls with fine clothing. Some wore knee-high boots or stockings, while others wore rags. They were wrapped in nylon tights, including their faces. Some had makeup over their nylon mask that sort of, you know, made a face. He drew eyes on the faces of some or put buttons over the eyes of the others. And their hands were also hidden in fabric. They were sat on shelves and sofas, and a few of them were in the garage because he didn't like those ones as much. Oh, I hate this. I don't know if you get it. I'm sorry, I will let you continue about this horrible doll thing. Whenever I'm scared, or whenever something like really unnerves me, I cry. Yeah, Kate's making this very strange face right in front of me right now. My eyes are like watering up. This is horrible. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, it's disgusting. I had to stop reading this earlier because it was just disturbing. So these were not dolls, but they were human girls. Oh, no. This is where it gets really gross and messed up. If you don't want to hear all the gruesome bits, then click off. Bye. Have a great day. That isn't gross. I don't want to hear this. You have to stay because this is where it gets gruesome. Oh, no. It was bad enough when it was dolls. So these girls were aged between three and twenty five. And Anatoly had exhumed the bodies from local graveyards before taking them home and mummifying them by himself. Imagine being one of the ones that was literally dug out of your grave and then put in the garage because he didn't even like you that much. Yeah, you got bored of those ones. I'm livid. I mean, it's gross anyway. Oh, it's absolutely just really disturbing. But, but yeah. imagine you're not even the favourite. <laughs> oh, that would suck. I crave praise. <laughs> Oh my god. Sorry, carry on. No, it's okay. So they, they all wore the clothes that they were buried in over their, their nylon stocking uh, body. And when a police officer moved one of the dolls, it began playing music. Because when mummifying the girls, he'd put personal items inside of their chests. So he'd open them up to stuff them. And in many, he'd put music boxes or toys so that when he touched them, they would make a noise, basically. You got anything to comment on that? You're just going to make that face? I'm going to be fucking sick. One had a piece of her headstone inside of her with the name on it. Another had her hospital tag. Another had a dried up heart. Ugh. Were they not like... So they were all properly mummified? Yeah. He like researched how to mummify them. Just, oh Just God. keep listening. Oh no. His apartment also had photographs of the graves, plaques and pieces of the gravestones in it, as well as a doll-making manual and maps of local cemeteries. He admitted that he's been doing this for 10 years, so after exhuming a body, he would stuff it with rags, wrap nylon tights around it, before fashioning a doll face onto it with makeup or buttons so they could watch cartoons with him. Well, at least it's a wholesome reason... Yeah. At least he's not like... Yeah, I know. Yeah. He would also talk to them, have tea parties. So there was like a set of toy cups and dishes on the table nearby, so he would occasionally model them 
like they were having a tea party at the table. This man just needs help. Yeah, he admitted that he did this because he was lonely, because he'd always wanted to have children, like specifically a daughter, and he was denied from adopting because his income was too low, and this was his best way of coping. Probably for the best, considering this is his best way of coping. You know, you could get a dog, but... Yeah, you can get a doll. Mm. Surprise. Yeah. They make those... They make those for a different purpose than just having tea parties with. But you can get them. Well, he said he loved them like they were alive and he cared for them. Besides the ones that he'd grown to dislike, which he just kept those ones in the garage. Livid. But he also said that he was waiting for signs or black magic which would revive the dead. So until then, he would preserve them as much as he could for that time so they could bring, he could bring them back. He also celebrated their birthdays and he kept a record of each of them when he exhumed them he wrote down their birthdays so he could celebrate it with them this is so sad because it's so gross but also like i just feel bad for him yeah he he just needs help he's not an evil person but it's just there's just something clearly wrong you know wow as i mentioned earlier anatoly was an expert on celtic culture and he'd learned that druids slept on graves in order to communicate with the spirits Because of this, he began searching for graves of recently deceased children and young girls. And when he found one he liked, he would sleep on the grave in hopes of getting permission for them to be brought back to life. Wow. And as he got older, it became physically harder for him to sleep on the hard ground. So he would dig up the bodies and bring them home so it would be easier for him to sleep next to them. And they might feel more comfortable talking to him in a safe home. But you've got to be, be thinking, right? I can't be caught doing this because this is horrendously illegal and really gross. Yeah, he knew it was wrong. But again, more on that later. So he did extensive research on mummification techniques to try and preserve the bodies because he wanted them to have functional bodies when they came back to life because he felt that they would find their decaying bodies too ugly for them to be happy, which is why he put makeup on them and stuff. Oh, this is well sad. And because the mummies were covered in cloth and wore clothes and makeups and wigs, it was initially unclear that they were human remains, which is why his parents didn't like suspect anything. Oh no, they've been in the house. Yeah, they were away for like long periods of time through the year for I don't know what the reason was. But when they returned, they just thought that their son had a, a passion for making big dolls. They were like, it's a bit odd, but I mean, there's nothing wrong with crafting some big dolls. But God, imagine being his parents and then finding out that these are not in fact dolls and being like oh my god we had a cup of tea right next to one yeah like i was just sat there next to a dead body mm. in a house full of like 23 dead bodies or however 26 oh that's oh yeah they just thought that they were they were dolls because they looked like dolls there were pictures of them and they look like they're just dolls they have just fabric hands and fabric faces because obviously he's covered them up and his parents received hell after this, though, and everyone in their city stopped talking to them and started damaging their property. Well, that's not fair. They didn't tell him to do this. Yeah. His fellow academics were also incredibly shocked when they heard the news because they thought he could do no harm. And he was aware that he was committing a crime, but he said that he heard the dead calling to him and he thought that helping the kids was more important than obeying the law. Oh. And obviously he was motivated because he did want a daughter, so it was kind of like getting a child in a way. 
It was determined that he suffered from a form of paranoid schizophrenia and he was moved from prison to a psychiatric centre. Mm-hmm. And he was supposed to be released in 2018, but they said it was still too early. and He just wasn't ready to be released yet. He's also refused to apologise to the victim's parents during a hearing to be released because the parents had buried their daughters. So he thought he saw that as them handing them over to him. Or... Yeah, they, they've given up on it. Yeah, he said that, he said, you abandoned your girls in the cold and I brought them home and warmed them up. And that's all I got. That's so sad as well. It's cold, it's cold, it's sad. No one wins. But it's also really grim and horrifying. That's, I don't feel very well and I'm going to have my dinner after this. Yeah, yeah, I was eating a chocolate clair earlier and I had to physically stop doing that because this is gross. Really grim. Oh, man. I know. Imagine just hanging out in his flat and being like, oh, cool big dolls. That is so sad. So if he was walking like 20 miles to one, would he have to carry him back? Yeah. How's no one spotted him? Apparently, um, the furthest one was about 10 miles away, I think. So 10 miles of walking with a dead body. No but one I think said most anything. of them were, were close, so that he could just, you know, pop over in the night and grab Wander one. Wander over. Oh yeah. my god. I imagine it was very well planned, because he knew which one he was going to dig up when he was communicating with them, I guess, in the beginning. Very disturbing. Not, really disturbing. Not one single person won from you telling me that story. No, it's kind of fascinating, though, in a morbid way. You don't think? No, I think I'm not going to think about it ever again. No, you're just going to drop this one now. Yeah, I'm just going to pretend that we never made this entire episode and I'm going to go to bed happy. Me too, honestly. Well, (laughs) hopefully you found something of worth in this episode. Good God, I hope you did not listen before bed. Listen before bed. Maybe. Maybe. Don't. Ugh.